Welcome to another episode of Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair, and today I am joined by our pastor of spiritual formation, Kurt Grice. We have a fun and semi-rambling conversation about justice, and we hope that you enjoy it. Uh, Kurt's filling in for our pastor while he's in Rome. He'll be heading to Rome soon, so if you're listening, just remember to pray for that group as they travel, and we look forward to the conversation to come. Well, we're here with another episode of Tell Me More, and if you haven't met me yet, my name is Luke Stair. Normally, I do this podcast with our pastor, Dr. Wiles, but he is in Rome. So today we are joined with the man with more scriptural depth than most people I know, <laughs> and that is Kurt Grice, our pastor of spiritual formation. Amazing what happens when you spend your life reading the Bible. Some of it actually <laughs> rubs gr- off on you. So, <laughs> Let's, I hope so. I hope I hope to reach the level of depth. And and, and I can confirm because I received a text not long ago from uh, our pastor that he is in fact in Rome. And it is about 20 degrees and much clearer, uh, 20 degrees warmer and much clearer there than it is here. So, Well, I am jealous of both the weather and (laughs) the food that he will be eating. So we're here today talking about uh, justice and where where our sense of it comes from. We're talking about Dr. Weil's sermon, Putting Things Right, in which he preached from John chapter 3. So, Kurt... As we think about justice, we one of the things Dr. Wiles talked about is that there seems to be this universal drive for justice. We want justice. We crave justice. Maybe if not for other people always, we always want it for ourselves. That's right. Yeah. So where does the sense of justice come from? Yeah, and I, I think it is fascinating. What you, you've touched on a couple of very important things right off the bat. I one like is, asking loaded yeah, questions. Well, one, one of those is that it does seem to be a fairly universal phenomenon uh, that, that this expectation of whatever the word justice translates into or the concept of justice translates into any culture or language uh, that, that people um, want, expect Yea, verily, demand justice. Uh, the the challenge is, so what do you mean? And it, I could say that about almost any of the trigger words or phrases or stereotypes or whatever. Uh, we use terms, we use words, and, and we kind of know what we mean, but we don't necessarily mean the same thing our hearers uh, mean. And so typically, if we're willing to invest the time, it's always good to say, huh, Tell me what you mean by that word. Which is a very good question. There's a theologian named Miroslav Volf who's written extensively on the topic of justice. And in the ch- one of the chapter titles in one of his books is called Who's Justice? Mm. Not Who is Justice, yes. but H-W-H-O-S-E. Yes. Whose definition of justice are we referring to? Right. So, Yeah. And so to me, uh, you, you also alluded to the fact that we want justice um, sort of abstractly for everybody, but tangibly for ourselves, and we clearly have in mind what we mean by that. And because you have young children, uh, and and one younger than the other, uh, pretty early on, we cultivate this sense of what's mine uh, by right or, you know, by justice or by strength or whatever. And so um, I kind of want justice for you, but I really, really want and expect it for me, and I'm willing to fight for it. And that's from a two-year-old. So it starts early. Uh, but but I would even say recent events, and it doesn't even have to be recent, but it's extremely current, uh, when people take to the streets to protest 
uh, often passionately, occasionally violently. What, what is the impetus for that? What's the genesis of that? Well, more often than not, it is a sense of justice mm. that is driving them to acts of protest or, or demonstration or to, um, to uh, call out something that they perceive to be wrong. Well, it's this sort of collective sense of justice that is shared by enough people that it makes the news. Uh, goes viral. So even as we talk about justice, clearly we're looking at it from a much more uh, eternal, um, biblically informed sense of of what is the big story, what is the gospel message. And and I think you and I would contend, whether we realize it or not, certainly in Western society, but I would say universally, uh, that sense of right and wrong, that sense of justice has been informed by the person and work of Jesus. Right. I, yeah, I love that you brought that up too. One of the books that many people on our staff, including our pastor, have read is this book called The Air We Breathe. If you are looking for a good read, I highly recommend picking it up. It's by Glenn Scrivener. But we forget so often that when we see these protests on the news, what they're really acting out is a shadow of the Christian influence mm-hmm. on our culture. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to study world religions or world history, you would know that throughout human history, we have codified laws that are a version of justice. I mean, so the Romans had lex talionis, and so that's very much this eye for eye. So mm-hmm. if you do this, you get this in, this punishment instead. Um, if you went east, you would look at Confucian teaching or Taoist teaching, which is about how you order and structure society. But this idea that all people are equal and of equal value is uniquely and distinctively Christian and is yes. not present in those other works. So justice outside of Christianity to many of us would appear lopsided. And I think when our culture is reacting to these things, what our culture, because of the shadow of Christianity mm-hmm. within it, mm-hmm. is reacting to the lopsidedness that they perceive in justice. Yeah, and so uh, arguably, definitely it exists in some of these Eastern cultures, Eastern religions, Eastern philosophies. Um, Arguably, uh, the United States of America, Western culture has been more influenced by uh, the Roman Empire, Greco-Roman thought. And clearly, there were Roman laws that were enforced by Roman power. Right. uh, And there was right and wrong. But even that um, right and wrong would be appalling to us today. My goodness, be- yes. Uh, because uh, they didn't consider uh, all people created equal. Uh, there were very obvious distinctions between uh, what we would read in, in the New Testament. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. Well, I promise you there was in the Roman Empire. Absolutely. And uh, everyone had some rights, but some people had more rights than others. And even the Apostle Paul, when he was uh, accused uh, of of heinous crimes against uh, the state, uh, his Roman citizenship certainly afforded him a different status than than someone who was not a Roman citizen. Right. And to us, that would appear as lopsided. Yes. Justice. Is that justice? Well, it was for them, but we, uh, because, and this is your argument, I think, because of uh, Christ, uh, his teachings, Christianity, the church, the spread of, of Christendom has altered significantly our sense of, of, of justice. And so even an atheist, even someone who doesn't know or espouse um, 
the teachings and the way of Jesus of Christianity has been inalterably affected by uh, this whole understanding of, of true justice from a biblical sense. Right. And I think biblically, you, I think, could expound on this. Even in the Old Testament, we see a picture of justice that's radically different. Mm -hmm. So I think we often glaze over Deuteronomy uh, and our reading of Scripture. For many of us, it's not the most exciting text. But even in Deuteronomy, when you read the law, there are provisions made for people based on their level of income, mm -hmm. their level of status within society, so that a fine or the restitution or punishment is actually scaled mm -hmm. uh, for someone who is of who is poor yes. or someone who's rich. Um, and so God, in His infinite wisdom, enacts a justice that isn't blind. Um, yeah, I love that, that, that there's consideration for the status of the individual. And what we have seen uh, all through, and you bring up the Old Testament, bring up Deuteronomy, um, God gave the Ten Commandments, he gave the law to reveal uh, right and wrong, to reveal justice, to reveal his justice. And while it might have seemed onerous or punitive, uh, what it was was a way of helping people understand their lostness and their own depravity apart from the divine. Yes. And, and nothing has changed in that regard. Uh, each of us individually is capable of incredible depravity apart from the divine, and we see it going on all around us. Uh, but as, as Paul says, no one is made righteous by keeping the law. The whole purpose of the law is to show us just how destitute and depraved we are apart from God, his, mm -hmm. his work in our lives. And so we only truly understand justice as God reveals true justice to us, but it always gives consideration to the individual. It's not to somehow assuage this this distant judge who is is overseeing the yeah overseeing the affairs of of men. It's a way to help us relate to one another, and and only through our relationship with God are, are we able to do that. And so, um, you know, to me, one of the points the pastor brought out Sunday, and and it's from uh, that N.T. Wright book, Broken Signposts, is that what makes Christianity somewhat unique is that there's an expectation on each of us to bring about justice. It's not just God putting things right. Uh, each of us who are followers of Jesus have a responsibility and an expectation to be actively working to help put things right in our spheres of influence. Right, and this is I think what it means for Paul when he says you are Christ's ambassadors. I mean, if you think about the role of an ambassador in society. Yeah, we're representing uh, the kingdom of God, as it were. In foreign territory. Yes. So, and we're representing the interests and <laughs> the laws and the ways of the kingdom of God in a foreign country. So, as you think of yourself, you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the place where you live. And part of that role of being ambassador is representing the kingdom of God's view of justice, mm -hmm. uh, which is not always in line with culture, culture's view of justice. I, I would argue that uh, hardly ever is it in hardly line. Ever. In fact, it stands in opposition to, to mainstream culture almost always. Uh, and the other point I want to make, you're right, is Christ's ambassadors, we have responsibility to represent the kingdom of God in foreign territory. But an ambassador's highest responsibility isn't to his own interest, but the interest of, of his kingdom, his country of origin. And so right. for us, we have to be careful not to let our personal petty uh, uh, sense of justice or, or getting what's ours 
to in any way undermine our greater responsibility to represent the kingdom of God and his interests. A wise and necessary distinction. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as we look around, uh, we're not always getting that right. Uh, many of us who claim the name of Jesus uh, fall victim to our own um, depravity, our own selfishness, our own narcissism. Mm. And uh, so when I look at, so what's the problem today with uh, our culture, with our world? Why are we missing the mark so so badly? Which well, I, I don't would, think you have to sell that very hard to anyone. No, uh, hopefully an, an honest thinking uh, aware person, not just self-aware, but situationally aware person would, would acknowledge uh, it's, it, it could be better. It could be better. And so I would say to you, it starts uh, with this acknowledgement that, you know what the problem is? The problem's me. Mm. I'm the problem. And I would look at you, my friend, and confess. You almost you know quoted Taylor Swift. Do you realize that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I could not honestly tell you. what. There's something about Shake It Off, but that's the only thing I've ever <laughs> known that she has said. And so I'm not very up on contemporary culture. But I, I would say that the the beginning of the answer is self-acknowledgement that it's not everybody else that's the problem. It's me that's the problem until I'm willing to acknowledge that and own my own junk. I can't in good conscience or with much integrity call anybody else out. No, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, when I was listening to the sermon on Sunday, there were two quotes that came to mind. And often when I think about these issues of justice, these are the two quotes that are in an interplay in my mind. And so the first is there was a, a Christian in the 300s named Augustine. Um, some people say Augustine. You can say it either way, and it's right. Yeah, Pliny, Pliner, yeah. Uh, obelisk, obelisk. Yeah. So <laughs> just follow your heart with how you pronounce Augustine. Um, but he described sin as disordered love. So sin is when you get your love in the wrong order. And so there's a New York Times columnist named David Brooks who has represented this to modern American culture. And he gives the example of just to illustrate this. So if sin is disordered love, pretend you're at a party and you let your love of popularity get above the place that your love of your friend should have. And then you gossip about your friend. So you've gotten your loves in the wrong order. Your love of your friend should be higher and more important to you than your love of popularity. And it's when you get those things twisted and in the wrong order that you sin. So sin is disordered love. I like that. I think it's a great way to explain the concept of sin in mm -hmm. our culture. I think it just makes sense because anyone can hear that and say, oh, yeah, I get my love out of order all the time. And yeah. as Christians, we believe that your love of God comes first. So anytime that that's not your first and most important love, your loves are all in the yeah, and and that's something that's that's learned. It's not natural. Our, our natural state is is fallen, debased, self centered, narcissistic. Even that uh, illustration David Brooks makes uh, that that love of power is an expression of love of self, mm -hmm. and it's it's that um, base nature that um, seeks my good, as I understand it, or really more my wants than my good, uh, above all else, and places me on the throne, and uh, I, be I become my own idol 
or, or pleasure, power, possession, whatever uh, becomes the thing I pursue. And that becomes my life's end, my goal, uh, the focus of my daily activities and completely ignores uh, what God mm-hmm. has intended for us. He's created us in his image. He's He's given us the opportunity to know him, to relate to him, to enjoy his presence. And we sacrifice that on the altar of our own pursuit of pleasure or popularity or possessions or whatever that might be. And I think we are all too familiar with the pain and chaos that that causes in our lives. So the other quote that comes to mind that I often think of in association with that is from Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. Uh, and he has, it's a short quote and it's, justice is love in public. Um, mm. And so if we think about justice is love in public and we think about that sin is our disordered love, then injustice is our disordered love in public. And so when we see injustice in our society, it's because collectively our love is out of order. Mm. Um, and part of our role as Christians is to work on putting publicly together corporately those loves in the right order and representing those kingdom interests and getting love in the right order out in the public square. It's interesting because you have come back again and again to the understanding of, the explanation of, the contextualization of justice with this word love. And so it's almost as if to understand what we mean by justice, we need to understand what we mean by love. Yeah. And and uh, again, God is love. Uh, we, we hear this popular phrase now, love is love. Well, again, I'd say, uh, do not think that word means what you think it means. Would you be a little more specific to find yes. love? Because we act like, well, everybody knows what love is. No. No, they don't. And in fact, uh, the only way we know what love is is because God has revealed that and explained that to us. So apart from God, we don't know what love is. And therefore, we don't know what justice is. That's exactly right. I also think, too, uh, in Hebrew, the words justice and righteousness are Mm. very closely linked, so much so that you could almost, in translating the Hebrew Bible, translate either one of those words either way. Mm. Um, so there is no righteousness apart from justice, and right living before God involves just living in the world in the Hebrew conception. You, you're sounding a bit prophetic here, young man. <laughs> this is, <laughs> but it's that, that whole sense of Micah six eight. You can't <laughs> well, you can't separate these things. It, you know, God's shown you what He expects of you. This is this is what's right to live justly, to do justice, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with God, that, that's the whole package. That's the concept there. And we only know how to do that as we follow the person of Jesus and, and his teaching. And, and so following the Jesus way is all about uh, living justice and, and loving mercy and compassion for your fellow man. And, and this whole sense of humility, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, but esteeming others mm-hmm. uh, as as good as you are, if not better. Uh, but that so flies in the face of modern culture, but not just modern culture, throughout culture, the ages. Throughout Any, the ages. <laughs> yes, across the ages and around the world. That I mean, is man's debased human default nature. If the Hebrew people had lived justly, the prophets would have never been written. No, they wouldn't have had a job. No. You know, if if Israel had done what Israel knew to do, they the prophets wouldn't have been needed. They'd have been out of a job. Yeah. And so this is – and Christians, I think we still need to read those prophets because Absolutely. oftentimes we let the world dictate how we order love in our life and therefore we get a distorted 
life of justice. But I, but I would even say with the with the prophets, and I think we have prophets among us from time to time. I, I, I hesitate to single out any one, but but there are prophets among us, and even the prophets when you read them, and not just lamentations, but there's this this personal grief, um, mm-hmm. this passionate despondency over the sin of the people. And so they're not just condemning. They're not just preaching against. Uh, they are um, emphatically living out the, the condemnation that they're pronouncing mm. on the people of God, and they're lamenting the loss of, of self-centeredness and of sinfulness and of just turning away from God. The most profound um, example of this is God God had taken care of his people. He had, he had given them refuge in Egypt and allowed them to become a nation and then had miraculously led them out of that slavery and bondage that ultimately was their fate and led them in, into the wilderness and the season of wandering and refining and discovering uh, who God is in a whole different way. And because of their privilege, uh, not because of their privilege and provision, God's provision allowed them to lapse into sin and to turn away from God and to reject the very one who had provided for them and taken care of them and and declared his glory to them. And and I don't know that America, again, just speaking frankly, this is the culture I know better than any other, right. uh, that that we are suffering in part from our, our luxury, uh, mm. our privilege. And because we have had it so good, we feel self-sufficient. We've lost that desperate dependence on God, and we treat each other poorly, in large measure, but because of that. And so, where is justice? Well, it's it's somewhere in God's um, His intention for us, His uh, willingness to provide for us. But it's going to require a very different um, set of attitudes and behaviors than what most of us are are presenting uh, mm. right now. You know, you mentioned that there are some prophets among us, and I think you might have just been one. Well, you know, I, I do. It's never the popular word. Uh, the thing about a prophet is they're never going to be celebrated. Um, they they will be castigated, not celebrated, and people will will turn away from truth uh, because as as we're studying the Gospel of John, uh, John opens up saying, "Light has come into the world, but the world has rejected the light because it loves darkness." Mm. That that's us. That's a word. That's us. It you can't handle the truth. Well, no, you can, but you don't want to handle it because you're enjoying your pleasure and and you're too self-seeking and you're interested in the the temporal um, pleasures of the moment more than the etern- eternal truth of God. Yeah, and I mean, I think lest we sound like we're being too hard on people. Oh no, I, I, who am I preaching? Right. I'm preaching, I mean, preaching myself. myself yes. too. I mean, if we think about the definition of sin, that it's Disordered love. I mean, just try to go a day, one day, getting all your loves in the right order mm. and treating mm. everyone the way that Scripture teaches you to treat people. And I think you will quickly realize just mm. how easy it is to get things out of place. In Even your own when life. you love your spouse, you know, you love your children desperately and you would sacrifice anything for them. Boy, it's so easy to get impatient and to uh, 
to to not want to make the time or make the sacrifice that's required in the moment. And so, uh, mm-hmm. as, as as Bible says, even you wouldn't give your your child a, a serpent if they ask for you know a, a bread or, or uh, you know how to give good gifts to your children, but you don't always do it. But your heavenly Father wants to give you good gifts, and He will if you if you ask Him and trust Him. But for us, even defining what love is, and and there are lots of definitions of love. But I would say in this context, it's wanting God's best for for other people, and it's a it's a willful, intentional, sacrificial commitment. Well, now to you're probably stealing so. Connor's sermon from next week. Oh, is, oh, but, he's talking about what love is. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So that's going to be something to look forward to. But I think that's one of the points he's going to be making. And he would add that you take action, mm-hmm. that it's wanting God's best for someone else, but also acting to Living bring to that make about. It so, yes. Um, which I love that he adds that component to it. Uh, so if you are listening, I strongly encourage you to tune in for Connor's sermon next week. Yes. I think it's going to be great. Um, he actually – he didn't write the book on love, but he did write a book on love. He did write a book on love. <laughs> so he's well qualified. Yes. Um, it's going to be a treat. His preaching debut at our church. I, I will listen from Rome or, or – And I will enviously remember <laughs> that you are listening from Rome. Sometime after that. I'm very jealous of the food. Um, <laughs> it is good. You know, good even food. the pizza is just really good in, in places in Rome. You don't have to rub it in, Kurt. You don't There's have to a place it. in Campo de Fiori that's <laughs> got this, this right now. <laughs> wood oven that this guy is oh. a master. He is an artist. And so one of the stops every year is this little pizza place off Campo de Fiori where this guy just creates a masterpiece. It's all good. You even the margarita right now, pizza. I'm drooling. Even the margarita pizza is worth, you know, going out of your way for. It's amazing. So, But oh. continuing on, sir, this is your podcast. <laughs> yes. So – I think it's good. We've talked about justice very abstractly. Um, we've talked about these ideas on kind of a big level. So what does it look like concretely for us to be justice bringers? Dr. Wiles used this example of DNA evidence and how it's exonerated mm. all these people in the Innocence Project. Not everyone in our church. I, in fact, I don't know if anyone in our church is a forensic uh, scientist. Not that I know. We've had some investigators, but I don't know that we've had any forensic scientists. So there's a good chance that no one in our church can use DNA to bring about justice. So what does it look like for us to be justice bringers in our everyday lives as retired people, as teachers, as people caring for children, as people going about their day at work, at business? How do we bring about justice as Christ followers? Yeah. Well, I... I so often when we travel around the world and we see uh, people in situations that just are are heart-wrenching, um, and so much of the world, again, is is living in survival mode. And uh, when we try, just had a group come back from West Africa and places we've been in Central America, and just literally around the world, you know, you see these uh, these people living in situations that just frankly don't exist in America, mm. and and even the poor. And this sounds terrible, and I, I but I'm going to say it. Even the poorest among us have it better than than most of the people in other parts of the world. And so we don't have that context, that frame of reference. But what we often tell our our people when they're confronted with this kind of abject poverty and and just desperation, you you aren't called to cure. But you are called to care, and and you can't fix a, a societal situation like that or something that's been generations in the making. 
but but you can care about individuals and and you can address in the moment as God has given you the prompting and the provision you know to address and and so for us as we look around us we can get so bogged down in the macro kinds of issues and challenges and frustrations and all that we miss those micro opportunities to be just to springers in the moment and often it w- will require uh going out of your way, uncomfortableness, speaking up, uh, mm. acting in ways that you don't necessarily feel. <laughs> and very, may not benefit you at all. Yeah, good about. And sometimes we just don't know. But that's the journey of faith. If we wait until it's 100% guaranteed that, boy, this is the no-miss thing to do, well, we're, we're not going to do much. And so as you learn to listen to the voice of God, to the promptings of the Spirit of God. If you're even open to being an ambassador, uh, to being the hands and feet of Christ, to bringing a, being a justice bringer, then I think you'll find yourselves um, more often than you realize in those moments where you can, in some way, represent the cause of Christ, be an ambassador to the kingdom of God, to bring justice to a situation. Mm-hmm. And and that's really all most of us will be able to do. Uh, it's not being on the Supreme Court. It's it's being the presence of Christ in your little sphere of influence. Yeah. That said, if someone from our church winds up in the Supreme Court, we expect you and we'll hold you accountable to bringing about justice. Uh, yes. But hopefully we don't have to teach you too much about doing that if you've made it to that level. Um, but it, it, and I would just say this in our – our crazy, fast-paced, diverse, pluralistic society, um, we, we need to be careful not to seek to impose too harshly, uh, but to, to care vulnerably for, mm-hmm. for people, you know, in the, in the moment. And, and that justice, that love is going to be uh, humble. It's, it's going to be compassionate. It's going to be um, Christ-seeking and and not too worried about the reaction of the individual. We we often tell people, if you truly want to take on the role of a servant, you won't know your true motive until someone treats you like a servant. Mm. And then you find out how sincere you were in your desire to serve. Oh, man, that's the truth. And one thing I think about, too, conversations about justice often relate to how Christians engage politics, mm. which is just a hairy, hairy, hairy mm-hmm. mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think possibly one of the best explanations I've heard comes from a man named Justin Gibney who's written a book called Compassion and Conviction. And mm-hmm. the title says a lot right mm-hmm. there. But as you think about what your role in voting is, is we hope you are people of conviction and that you vote based on your conviction. We'll tell you to do that as a church. Vote based on what you are convicted yeah, of. Yeah, just uh, be as knowledgeable as you can be. Uh, and do the best you can. Right. But if we are only convicted and we miss the compassion, then we have failed mm-hmm. and we probably are voting unjustly. Um, so it's how do you balance in your life the compassion that you know God has called you to because mm-hmm. every person you meet is made in the image of God and has infinite worth mm-hmm. with the conviction you feel. And so it's about voting and so is, or engaging politics, both with conviction and with compassion and keeping them in check um, and not leaning too far into one ditch. 
Yeah, and uh, to me, politics is such a a volatile thing. It may, maybe it's always been, but it, we feel so uh, partisan and divided, and and it's so um, inflamed right now. Any issue that uh, wanting to stay out of the fight and to engage people uh, more one on one or personally, where things are not so. Um, impassioned and, and you can have an intelligent conversation and to listen as as much as you talk and to try to understand where people are coming from. So much of our politics is motivated by fear mm-hmm. and and that fear can come from lots of different places and take lots of different shapes and forms. But but I would say more often than not, we're we're seeing people be reactionary and and vote or lobby or protest out of out of fear more than um, conviction about the common good and and rightness. We we are more worried about our rights than our responsibilities to one another. And so uh, it's a complex thing. I, I would encourage people not to be single issue voters, though, to be so uh, in, enraptured by one issue that you miss perhaps other things that are very very important. And um, it, it's it's. It's hard to believe there are some good politicians, but I know some really good politicians. They exist. And they do exist, and and there are good, godly men and women who are doing the best they know with what they have to work with to bring about um, God's peace, shalom, uh, rightness, common good, uh, biblical justice. Uh, but it, it's challenging. It's complex. It is. And I think to speak to your point, if fear is driving what you do on a ballot or what you do in a protest, as Christians, we need to remember that perfect love drives out fear. Mm-hmm. Um, that the kingdom of God is secure. It is. Um, and we ultimately are citizens of that kingdom. And and that really is. We, we're Our pastor likes to say we're always playing an away game. You know, Christians in this world are never playing a home game. We can never get too comfortable. We are citizens of, of two kingdoms. One is temporal. The other is eternal. And and it does matter. I mean, what we do here matters. Absolutely. But it, it doesn't matter eternally except as it relates to uh, the souls of men and women and uh, the gospel and the message of Christ and, and God's ultimate kingdom. Yeah. Feels like as good of a place as any <laughs> to end. Uh, we have— really kind of run a spectrum of topics related to justice. This is what happens when you don't have a script and and nobody's minding well, the we, store. We never <laughs> do have a script. Uh, <laughs> so it always goes where it'll go. Um, but yes, uh, next week is going to be good. So if you think about justice, uh, it's not just vengeance. I think it is closely in the Christian conception, at least related to love. I mostly care about the Christian conception. Um, So I would encourage you to listen closely next week as Connor Torrealba preaches about love Mm -hmm. and think about what that means. And then he'll be with me here on the podcast next week. So you'll get to hear him on Tell Me More. And that's going to be a good time. And I'm going to go out on a limb, not having seen or heard his sermon yet, and say what Connor tells us about love, um, that's love. (laughs) And that love is love. It is. I know that Connor will be biblically sound, and I'm. It's so great to work with people. You don't have to worry about yes. that. Amen. Um, amen. So, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We are so glad that you tuned in, and we'll have another episode for you next week. Stay warm. Yes. Or 
as my New England friends would say, stay warm out there, chowder heads. That's it. It's wicked out there. It is. It is. It's, it's going to be worse tomorrow. So. It is. But thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me on, uh, Luke. Enjoyed it. And uh, blessings, everyone. Blessings. for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.